This is episode 9 of the DNA Game Podcast, a series highlighting leaders' tabled and neurodiverse talent in the gaming industry. I am your host Chris and this podcast series was made to be able to chat to other disabled and neurodiverse people in the industry just like myself and to normalise the discussion around disability and neurodiversity. I hope this podcast helps you see the identities often left out of the discussion and encourage others to break into the industry. Thanks again to Caitlin and you can follow her online, details in the description below. Hello and welcome to another episode of DNA of Games, the podcast that talks to disabled neurodiverse uh, people in the industry, uh, whether they're developers or content creators and all the things in between. And this week I am excited because we have a Xbox accessibility <laughs> team member um, and as you probably all are aware, Xbox are always on the money when it comes to like accessibility they you know we can always rely on them to be doing their best or striving for the best and really sort of setting the industry standards when it comes to accessibility and also the inclusion of uh, dis- uh, disabled people and neurodiverse people um so welcome caitlin jones uh the uh let's say the gaming accessibility program manager is that right <laughs> yep yes thanks chris it's great to be here <laughs> I don't know whether you want to give a quick little uh, instruction to yourself um, in a bit way, more better way than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. I'm a gaming accessibility program manager over uh, in Team Xbox. And before coming over to this team specifically, um, I was actually, I started my early career uh, in the occupational therapy field. So working with a lot of uh, different folks with different disabilities, uh, trying to integrate gaming into that space as well. Uh, And, you you know, kind of using it as a therapeutic modality to uh, help people get better and build back their strength and things like that and um, have fun during their therapy sessions as well. And yeah, I'm uh, super thankful and grateful that I'm now over uh, on Team Xbox and able to take part in, you know, all the awesome accessibility work that they do. Oh, that's uh, amazing. And I can see why they um, snatched you up (laughs) to be a part of their team. (laughs) Um, As um, I've seen online, following you on Twitter, for example, you know, you are quite honest to say that, you know, with your sort of newer diversity and also about uh, talking about hidden disabilities, because it's something important to yourself. Um, I don't know whether you mind sharing, you know, how you identify with these things. Yeah, sure. I always like to kind of give the the full story because I think it's important. Um, But, you know, as someone with multiple invisible disabilities, um, I was uh, I was diagnosed with kind of depression, anxiety when I was really, really young, um, you know, around 14, 15 years old. Um, And then as I got older into my later teens, 17 or 18, I actually um, had a, a surgery on my jaw, which strangely led to uh initiating some kind of autoimmune chronic pain situation with my neck and back so that's been a whole lot of fun uh, to navigate through for the past you know 10 plus years or so and then um it wasn't until actually when i was uh, in grad school for college that i got my diagnosis of adhd which made a ton of sense (laughs) um but you know in retrospect i wonder how different my schooling and my life would have been had i known to seek that out earlier Mm -hmm. um but yeah I, i always like to say as someone with uh, multiple invisible disabilities for for a pretty long time it was really easy to kind of hide that aspect of who I was mm-hmm. while I was still figuring a lot of things out you know who I was what, what 
what my career, what I wanted it to be. And I thought it was the best choice to not really um, be loud and proud about those disabilities because I did have that ability to not share if I didn't want to Mm -hmm. um, because they were invisible in nature. And I think just through being around the amazing gaming and disability community for the past few years and seeing disability as really being celebrated, you know, as something that makes us unique and able to contribute to the world in such different ways, uh, make gaming a better place, make so many other aspects of, of life a better place. Like it kind of gave me the courage to want to, um, you know, identify more with those disabilities that make me who I am in the hopes that it'll, you know, maybe encourage other folks to have that um, pride in those aspects of themselves and not be afraid of it. No, that's um, so important, um, especially now, like, you know, where with the you know, dis- disability and neurodiverse community, you know, we're really coming into full ownership of who we are, and especially yeah. when it comes to Indian game industry, you know. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we've got to keep championing that about being, you know, sort of out and proud because in that way, you know, more general or mainstream or able-bodied uh, people are going to sort of accepting and be able to understand sort of where we're coming from and you know the the right ways <laughs> the, the interact yeah. with us and the, all the complexity around that so you know i'm really thankful that you are the, one of the people to kind of be at the forefront and saying hey yeah cool it's all right guys it's all right everyone you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um you spoke a little bit um at the start that you know sort of how you sort of came into uh, team xbox um but i wonder if sort of taking it back a little bit of um you know sort of and how you kind of got there you know when you were at school you know was it some sort of, you know because uh, you eventually end up in the occupational therapy first um was right. it always something that sort of was in your mind about you know the, having that sort of um uh, working with people and work, helping them through their conditions and that you know was that something always inbuilt with you or something that kind of came a bit later Yeah, so I actually have a a pretty unique and serendipitous story um, in that I'm super fortunate in that my dad, uh, who's actually a mechanical engineer by design, he um, has quite a few friends that, you know, were veterans and a lot of veterans were coming home. And this was back when I was in high school, so around, you know, like 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were coming home from overseas and a lot of them had suffered these not separate, but sustain these very severe injuries and amputations and things like that. And for the veteran community, for a lot of them, video games were a huge aspect of their day- daily life, you know, playing while they were deployed during their downtime, uh, bonding with, you know, the folks that they were out there together with during, you know, <laughs> stressful situations otherwise, playing yeah. with friends and family back home. So, you know, to come back home and, and not only have this very new um, disability, but also not be able to do one of the activities that was your favorite thing ever that you, you love to do on yeah. top of that was really, really difficult. So my dad just using his uh, mechanical engineering knowledge just started like, cracking open and hacking uh commercial game controllers and wiring out like buttons and bite switches and levers that you know you could activate with your residual knee limb or um you know anything like that anything where if you don't have the you know 10 fingers and the dexterity needed to use a standard controller and needed a button somewhere else that you could access like again your head or whatever um he would just kind of problem solve through that and create Mm -hmm. these um 
really sometimes very involved adaptive gaming rigs so the the veterans that he knew could get back to playing and he just loved doing it so much and, and working with those folks that he decided to turn it into an official nonprofit organization mm-hmm. and um, just through having him as my dad luckily uh, I got to you know see the work that he was doing and again I was in high school so that actually inspired me to go into occupational therapy because mm-hmm. I met a, a, quite a few occupational therapists along the way while he was you know, working with a lot of these folks. And I just, it seemed like a great field. So um, fast forward, I was I was in college and again, going to school for OT and actually an, an engineer from uh, Microsoft saw our nonprofit's Twitter page and our, our nonprofit organization were called Warfighter Engaged. Um, and they saw the work that we were doing and kind of asked, you know, how can we help do what you do to scale because we see you breaking open our controllers <laughs> and doing a lot of work on the back end. And, you know, we're, we're sure that there's a greater need for this, but, you know, we were just a very small nonprofit. So mm. they actually brought us out for um, a hackathon event, which for those not familiar, it's at Microsoft uh, one week every year, all Microsoft employees are allowed to take some time off from their day job and work on a passion project of their choice. And, um, you know, you're allowed to bring in nonprofit organizations as well if you're trying to fix, uh, you know, or hack some sort of solution for them, which is just really fantastic. So we were lucky enough to be brought in for the hackathon event. And um, through meeting a lot of the folks there and seeing the awesome work that Xbox was interested in doing in the accessibility space, um, that is kind of what caught my eye and attention. And I was like, I wonder if I could use my background in OT and in the clinical space and knowledge of adapting everyday tasks to maybe helping inform product design. Mm-hmm. And, you know, out of that hackathon, quite a f- many, many people and teams and involvement in other organizations later, the Xbox Adaptive Controller actually came to be in the world. So <laughs> uh, it was through identifying, you know, that need that people, not everyone could use a standard controller mm-hmm. and then bringing us out. And again, along the way, just through meeting those folks, I was able to make connections, try to advocate for the role that occupational therapists can play. And I was lucky enough that not not, not too long later, they uh, offered me a, a contract position on one of their accessibility teams and kind of just kept going from there. So <laughs> no, that's amazing. And, you know, yeah. it's um, it, it reminds me of um, the episode that I did with Martin Baker and like her having, you know, not necessarily being in the gaming space straight away, but having all this like wealth of knowledge that the gaming space mm-hmm. was desperate for <laughs> so yeah. you know all that sort of things you were doing with occupational therapy and you know working with your dad you know it's something that like, no wonder expert were like please come here and work with us is <laughs> 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 yeah yeah um you know kind of like you know that your relationship with dad obviously must be really really really, really good <laughs> like working with him um yeah. Do you, you know, I, were you quite a, a gaming family? You know, do you always play games together or? <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny when I was really, really young, my dad always was a big PC gamer. And even when I was like five, six, seven, I saw him playing and I was like, I want to do that too. And again, this was before a lot of the like smaller handhold, handheld stuff was out yet. So there wasn't that many options. So I would actually sit on his lap and we would do a, like what I like to call the original co-pilot where he would uh, do like the mouse and some of the more complex controls. And then I would just, you know, hit the space bar when the character needed to jump over something. And so gaming has always been like something that we've bonded 
together with and I've been doing for a really long time. So it's it's been great to kind of come full circle and, and still be doing this together in a sense. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God, it just left my mind. But yeah, um, you know, um, sort of doing all this work and, you know, sort of eventually coming to like Xbox and that, you know, kind of like, would you, you know, sort of looking back, you know, when you were a lot younger and that, would you be like, oh, you know, you know, end up working in games <laughs> you know was that something that you were like uh definitely going into games or was it kind of just like you know actually I'm, you, know, you were lucky to get there sort of no, not, not lucky to get there but you know it's kind of like <laughs> you saw the opportunity <laughs> yeah no I, it, to be honest when i was younger it wasn't it wasn't a goal of mine i don't think it ever really crossed my mind to actually be working in games i always liked playing them but i was never uh much of like a math developer kind of mind i was always more into like the arts and environmental stuff and biology so uh, i i if you asked me like even five or ten years ago i probably would have never thought that this is where <laughs> i would be right now to be honest but i don't regret any of it i'm i'm really happy and um, lucky to be where i am now yeah, like, like, you know, um, I guess the sort of um, follow-up to that is kind of like, you know, you said that uh, when you were a teenager that, you know, you had this uh, operation on your jaw and that and it sort of triggered off a lot of, you know, things that followed up from there and, you know, how has that then sort of impacted way, sort of where you thought you could end up in career-wise, you know, was it something that you were like, sort of holding you back or was it something that you're like oh no I'm going to be fine and you know I can get over this to do whatever I want or were you kind of like a bit cautious about what you could do yeah I'll be honest it was um it the main it, bulk of the the pain and and stuff like that really started after I had already started my occupational therapy program um so it, it was definitely challenging being a student because again I didn't know my ADHD diagnosis at the time and here I am away at college for the first time and I'm just like man my neck really hurts all the time I can't sleep like this is this is hard um and it didn't really cross my mind until a couple of years into school where we actually were, you know, working with patients and things like that and lifting people and transferring them and, and occupational therapy, depending what setting you work in, can be a very physical, um, you know, day to day for you. So uh, it was actually, you know, it did start to affect how I felt about my role in the profession and whether or not with my back and neck pain, if it's something that I could be continuously doing is being up on my feet all day working with yeah. folks and um, doing a lot of strenuous activity. So it, it was a little bit uh, concerning at first. So I think that's why as I kept going along, kept trying to get different diagnoses and treatments and one thing after another all the injections and stuff like that um when the opportunity did come to take a step back and be more in, in a product space where uh, i just had a lot more flexibility in my schedule and um you know time to relax and not be on my feet all day it, it did it kind of solidified the decision that i i might be doing the right thing and that i could still have impact in the lives of people with disabilities through helping make gaming more accessible even though i wasn't you know individually treating or working with clients with disabilities one-on-one -on -one anymore which was it was hard at first but and mm. yeah. um, i'm guessing that your own experiences then helped you uh, have a lot more understanding and empathy then to the people you're trying to like serve yeah i i'd like to think so um i actually remember when i was uh doing a kind of like an internship in a mental health setting. And again, I was, I was really young at the time and I had opened up to the, 
the patients that I was with because I thought it was the right thing to do. And I told them, you know, I've had depression, anxiety, something I've been dealing with for many, many years now as well. And while I don't, I can never understand your experience completely. Like I, I've been through similar and I, I understand in a way where you're coming from. And a lot of them are really astonished because they're like, what do you mean? You, you look like the picture of your health. You're just this young person. Your life must be all like flowers and roses. And I think to open up and, and share that just, you know, based on someone's looks or how they carry themselves, like that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not underlying things that they're dealing with day to day that makes them a different person and affects who they are and how they act. And I think that was, you know, really powerful. So I was, I was happy to be able to share that. Yeah, I think one thing that sort of um, stood out to me, sort of in a, like a recent like Xbox blog that I think you uh, quite happily were leading on sharing your experiences was um, the notion of um, people masking their illnesses or like their obviously ADHD for example uh, which obviously yep. is very common in women and it's kind of like it's that's something that you have to figure out and overcome mm -hmm. yeah I think you know going going back to that time again where I was still unsure of things I just wasn't sure if it was something I wanted to be upfront about and have other people know about me, I didn't want to be judged. Uh, I already felt kind of this um, imposter syndrome to begin with very early in career, finishing up college. So it was uh, it was a decision that I didn't make until quite later on in connecting with a lot of other folks with disabilities, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, with um, regards to like ADHD, you said that obviously they really got the official diagnosis so much later in life which happens to a, a lot of adults that, you know especially working in games industry i think we, we were able to realize the patterns and how similar you know and into our own lives and <laughs> compare notes mm -hmm. a lot of the times <laughs> and go, yep. oh actually <laughs> um, yeah you know how was that for you you know sort of um as somebody you know sort of trying to figure it all out you know pre-diagnosis and after your diagnosis you know do you feel like your outlook of how you uh, go to your about your day-to-day -day changed or was it kind of just like oh all right thanks <laughs> yeah no it, it definitely changed a lot of things for me because again for a really long time I thought that I was having just such an issue doing regular schoolwork and day-to-day -day tasks because that's how life was. I just assumed everyone had this hard of a time, you know, getting things done, staying on task and not being very easily, you know, distracted by other things. So when it, it finally did happen, it made so much more sense. And um, I think just knowing that for sure, it kind of gave me the, the confidence to advocate for myself and know how I need to structure my day and what I need. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it, it gave me the courage to like be uh, more verbal and saying this, these are the times that I work best and can concentrate the best. This is how often I need a break. So I might be off for this half an hour to take a walk. Uh, and yeah, so it was, it was very helpful. It changed a lot. <laughs> Um, did you um, sort of discover, because obviously, you know, you've been working a lot with occupational therapy and, uh, you know, you have that, I would assume you have a lot of uh, very good knowledge around disabilities, uh, mental health and neurodiversity already. You know, when it came to your own diagnosis, it was something like you learned a lot more, you know, new things or just things came a lot clearer to you. 
Yeah, I think like as occupational therapists, again, we have a very deep and close relationship with different disabilities in the disability community. But until you're actually living through that yourself, you don't you can never truly understand how it might impact somebody's day to day. So to be on the other side of that is very eye opening as somebody who is treating folks with disabilities, because I knew like I'll continue to obviously work with folks that have disabilities I may never have. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was it's kind of it was a good grounding moment to say, like, you need to know for the rest of your career that you may or probably will never fully understand the experiences of most of the folks you're working with. But if you could do your best to, you know, be mm -hmm. empathetic and meet them where they're at because you've been in that similar space, like that's that's the best you can do. And that was really great. Yeah, that's very understanding. I think, especially when uh, I guess people are going through that similar sort of stage of like trying to get that diagnosis and that and just you're just you have that sort of grounding of like hey i understand <laughs> yeah i was there <laughs> yep yeah sure. um you know i'm interested to know um how your sort of you know your family and your friends sort of have not adapted, but you know, how do you sort of, you know, sort of families like you know, like you have ADHD, for example, or you know, have more, you know, pronounced um, chronic pain symptoms, for example. Um, you know, what were their understanding? Were they very like, oh, they just knew about it and they were like really good with it, or was it something that it took a while to understand? Yeah, I think um, the the obvious immediate effects of it of hey, I'm in pain right now, or hey, I, you're talking to me and it just looks like I'm not listening or care about anything you have to say. You know, those were a little bit more immediate, uh, obviously, but I think what took a, a little bit of a longer time, and this is with everyone in general, and what a lot of folks don't really think about is like those underlying impacts of having some of these sorts of disabilities in that, you know, I may not actively be in a ton of pain right now, but... Um, I have been in pain all day, every day for the past however many hours straight. So sorry if I'm just a little bit more frustrated or easily irritable today than normal. I just, there are things going on, on in the background with your body and your mind that sometimes make it more difficult to be as patient or be as attentive. So um, I think by, again, being, uh, trying to advocate for myself and not using it as a as an excuse, but making sure that the people that I love know that sometimes the way I'm acting is not reflective of how I feel about them, if it's, you know, a negative reaction, but rather just what I'm trying to manage inside of my body and my mind while the rest of the world is going on uh, was, I found really important because, you know, it's, it's easy to take that kind of the wrong way or take it personally when somebody gets irritable or, or seems like they're not listening. So yeah, that was, <laughs> that took a bit to wrap my head around how to explain to the people that yeah. I care about and wanted them to know. But it, in the end, it was very helpful for uh, our relationships. Oh, that's good. Um, is that the same then for, you know, your current role? Obviously, you have, you uh, must work with uh, <laughs> a lot of people, <laughs> given now how many uh, people are involved in Xbox and Microsoft. Like, do you, are you quite upfront then about, you know, how you work? Or do you kind of like, again, maybe time and place sort of thing yeah i do i do my best to be very upfront about it and um make sure that you know if something slips or even even things like uh if i owe someone a response or something like that i'll always tell people like 
please don't hesitate to repeatedly ping me. If I'm not getting back to you, it's probably because I read your message, went to go reply, and then started doing something else. And I just forgot that your message was left unread. And it's, again, it's not personal. I'm not ignoring you. So just ping me. Keep keep following up. That's totally fine. Don't feel bad. So yeah, that's, that's definitely been important. I think, too, it's really been helpful because, again, it's not just me going through this. Like, everyone is going through their own personal, you know, journeys and battles with whatever it is. So um, there's, I feel like in humanity, there's a tendency to, again, take things personally or be like, oh, that person was not super friendly today. I wonder why they don't like me. Um, And, you know, having that introspection to be like, maybe it's not that they don't like you. They're just having a bad day. They're dealing with stuff too. Like, you know, they shouldn't have acted like that. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. So if we take a step back from ourselves and think about the fact that other people may be coming from other places yeah. uh, it'll just help us be more patient in general and, and be able to form better relationships with people yeah it's easy to forget that sometimes you're not the main character in life <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> it, it, it's very easy to forget for sure <laughs> no I, I love that i love that you know you are confident comfortable to you know sort of share that with your colleagues and to I guess it's not educate, it's just to make them um, more empathetic or just more like, you know, resilient to, <laughs> to that sort of like, you know, uh, sort of thing of like, oh, just, just don't be offended. You just need to like nudge me and I'll respond. It's not like a case of you were, you know, I don't feel like you're annoying me. You're just doing your job. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I do like that. So, um, you know, sort of bring it to like gaming and, you know, the things that you love uh, to play, you know, was your you know was your gaming habits changed then since you know kind of getting more like you know into the chronic uh, chronic pain or was it always were you always quite lucky to be able to play the same things or do you think you know your play habits changed a little bit yeah i think that when i was uh younger before a lot of the chronic pain stuff started i did like to play a lot of pc games and now with the the neck and back stuff it's just way more comfortable to lounge on my couch and play console games. So I think that at least the platform has changed quite a bit. I try to stay away from handheld games as well because it's like the whole phone uh, slouching over your neck sort of thing that everybody deals with. Uh, So I guess in a sense it's changed a little bit and uh, the types of games, you know, obviously now with the Nintendo Switch you could plug it into your TV and, and stuff like that but I've always been a huge fan of like Mario Kart and a lot of those, you know, fun uh, light, light-hearted games and those weren't always available um mm-hmm. easily on you know some of the bigger screen more relaxy experiences uh, just based on what i had access to as a kid so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh, definitely an interesting point and in how technology changing and being um, more accessible can makes it a bit more bringing in the options <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> um you know uh did the way you play games with other people then get changed you know whether you're playing with your dad or you with your friends you know did you have to be a bit more like hey i, I can't play this sort of game for you know i can do this for like 20 minutes and we might have to have a break <laughs> yeah i think there's certain types of games that i just know i stay away from because they're really hard for me to concentrate or stay on task <laughs> and i'm like i don't want to make your gaming session not fun by just totally leaving you high and dry because I went to go do something else and you're suddenly being attacked by a ton of uh, people. So, um, 
Just yeah, give me a minute. Yeah. I've seen a cat. I need to follow it. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's like 10 loot boxes over there. So I'm going to go grab them and then I'll meet you later to destroy like the huge wave of enemies killing you right now. <laughs> so that's that's definitely a thing. But uh, my friends are all really understanding and uh, they help me keep on task. So that's been good. It, it allows me to to play some of the games I might not ordinarily play by myself. <laughs> that definitely sounds like uh, me and my friends and having uh, my friend AD just been like hey we're doing this and then me and my friend Charlotte just completely diverge and go off into different matches yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, like, where are you <laughs> like, what, what are we doing <laughs> like, I've doubled across this big bad enemy like it's like where, where are you <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh yeah oh slightly chaotic <laughs> But uh, this really kind of ties into the great, like, you know, last bit of the podcast about talking about, you know, what your, I guess, golden moment of gaming is. You know, what's the thing that you always think about when, you know, somebody says, oh, what's your favourite game? You know, what do you talk about when you start, like, you know, say, hey, let's talk about gaming. You're just like, I need to talk about this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a tough question. I, it, I, I know it's super hard because I, I love so many games, obviously. Um, I think I'm I love platformers. Uh, those are those have always been my favorite. Again, like beautiful cartoon artistry that's just, you know, nothing too intense. Not not a first person shooter where you have to manage a lot of controls and camera angles, but rather just, uh, you know, I know where I'm going. I'm going to jump around and it's, it's going to be a fun game. So, like, I love Ori and the Will of the Wisps and, you know, those kind of games. Uh, lately, I've been getting into, uh, I've been playing Borderlands <laughs> with my friends. So, that, that's been fun. It's been a, a fun change of pace. But in general, um, I think the biggest thing for me, especially with bigger open world games, is when games allow you to set your own custom waypoint markers. Okay, so, yeah. it's like okay, I know I want to go in this direction, but if every single mission's, like, identification marker is throughout the entire map, I'm never going to remember, like, <laughs> this is the one I'm walking toward. So uh, just having that ability to customize what I want on screen and what's visible to me and, like, hide anything else that I don't want to be dealing with at the moment has uh, unlocked a lot of games for me because otherwise I just I walk around for hours and hours and hours in a game and don't get anything done <laughs> so that's kind of yeah. a, like a cool shout out to like you know accessibility thing that people might not really think it's like accessibility is just like literally toggling what you can see on the map um, you know a lot of people kind of dismiss a lot of things to be you know an accessibility feature or a support feature because they just think oh that's just a normal thing but that can be very useful for people yeah, I think one game that's like really amazed me with how in-depth they've gone with this is um, in The Witcher 3, actually. They just do such a great job of giving you background on everything. So if you, you know, haven't played for a while or you're like me, you just don't really remember what happened last, mm -hmm. you can go through all of your missions are separated by, like, quests versus side quests. So you could easily identify, like, okay, which quest do I need to complete to actually progress in the game versus... These are just side ones. If I don't want to do them, I don't have to. Um, and the same thing with uh, giving like overviews of what's happened in the story or the narrative so far. So you could easily just reread that, remember what you were doing last, despite how long it's been since you played the game, and just yeah. kind of jump right back into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know I've been very guilty of um, 
like restarting games that I just can't remember. <laughs> I got by yep. I'm just like, I'll just restart it. I'll just re- redo the story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're focused this time and maybe like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, it's, in- it's interesting that you have a lot more um, affiliation maybe with like cognitive like support. Um, obviously, maybe with your ADHD, I, you know, I don't want to assume, but I assume that, you know, that cognitive, like, accessibility is kind of something that you're really, like, in tuned with, because you must use it yourself, so you're like, when you see, you know, good examples of art, you sort of jump on it and be like, hey, I really love this. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been good, too, because a lot of my full-time job, or all of my full-time job is <laughs> focused on accessibility, <laughs> uh, but one, one of the main projects that I work on is our Xbox accessibility guidelines. Uh, and I, I love every time I get to help make updates to that. And one of the biggest major updates we made in the last couple of years is actually adding in uh, example captures and clips of games that are, you know, if we have a guideline that states you should do X, Y, Z, actually uh, putting a little video clip of a game that does that and yeah. implements it properly so the devs can see it in action to help them ideate on how they might want to do it in their game. So mm. I found through the just through the process of doing my day-to-day job, I've been able to just find a lot of games that I then want to go off and play that have the features that I want. So it's kind of <laughs> like a double dip uh, work and personal win for me. So yeah, just sticking out with that. What was that game you like? We was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Add it to the list. <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, you know, um, what then, you know, you hope for the future, you know, let's send it like, kind of like, let's look into the future, like, you know, what sort of games are you hoping that will be coming out that would really be something for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's hard to say because again, as, as we touch on all facets of accessibility in, in our day-to-day roles, uh, over over in the Xbox accessibility team and even our broader studios and things like that. Like, um, I'm always pleased when I see uh, cognitive or attention-based supports mm-hmm. in games. Those are really great. Um, and anything that kind of lets you uh, almost dampen the rest of the environment in a way, like turning on, like even if it's a high contrast mode that gets rid of the background of the game. So it's just like your character walking against the black background with the platforms. Like mm-hmm. it just makes it so much easier to stay focused and on task. But then I also love seeing, you know, um, accessibility supports and efforts around text scaling and visibility of elements, customizing the color of what's in the game. Because again, you know, even though I'm not somebody that has a visual disability, if I have the option to make the waypoint marker or my my aiming reticle like bright orange or bright green, because that's what helps me uh, like just pay attention to it more easily, despite what its default color is. That's a huge win for me and folks with visual disabilities and and so many other things as well. So Mm. um, I really do, I hope that as we go forward, the the industry and and studios out there just see accessibility as not something that benefits the small population of, you know, X number of people have uh, a hearing disability or XYZ disability, but rather when we invest in accessibility in our games, we're just creating a better, more flexible experience that makes it more enjoyable for everyone and, and supports them in what they want or need to do in the game, despite disability or, or anything mm. else yeah, definitely you know i always champion accessibility as a way for 
uh, developer designers to be more innovative because you know it forces you to think outside the box and you know to think of new solutions and not to go by the old playbook of making games and it's kind of like you know that's what one of my personal champion of like accessibility is it's just like you know you'll be a better developer designer if you do accessibility because it'll challenge you a lot more to you know make your game you know more playable <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely and i think you know one of the things that i've kind of learned taking from the occupational therapy background where we talk about activity demands a lot is you know if we have someone uh who's in in rehab and we want to make sure they're safe to go home and in order to go home they need to know how to cook by themselves we'll say like okay what are what are the activity demands of cooking like you need to make sure that this the stove is on that you don't leave it on uh that it's the right temperature that you know you're safe you could safely move to grab stuff out of the cupboard without falling and then and then in the same way that's kind of how i've I've liked to communicate game accessibility to a lot of developers is, you know, when you're designing a gamer experience, what demands are you placing on players? And if a player can't meet that demand, then what options do they have to continue to enjoy your game? So mm -hmm. if progressing to the next level means you have to beat uh, this, this boss battle and you can only beat them by doing a move that makes you press three buttons at the same time repeatedly, mm -hmm. what options do players who can't perform that physical task or cognitive task or whatever it is um, what options do they have to progress? And if they can't meet those demands, they're blocked, you know, in, in a sense from continuing. So kind of turning it around on developers and have them think about the demands they're placing through their design choices, I found has been a um, kind of like an eye-opening way to look at things because you don't normally think about developing games in that way. Oh, that's a great bit of uh, advice, definitely. And I think people should take that on board. So. I thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, you know that's great. You know, um, we've basically come to the end of the the episode. And um, again, thank you for being here with us. <laughs> I really thank appreciate you. about hearing about your story and how you know you got into your role. You know, I think it's super important. And you know, I'm excited to see sort of the things that you do and the, the team at Xbox do as well. Um, in the future, and you know, the amount of games that you'll have coming out. So yeah, so again, so uh, thank you. And um, do you have a any social media that people can follow you on? I do. Well, first off, thank you. Uh, it's been such a pleasure, and I, you know, I'm so grateful to have been invited on the show. And yes, uh, for social media, I have Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Caitlin Jones underscore. So it's. Uh, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-J-O-N-E-S and then an underscore uh, at the end of that. So feel free to uh, connect with me there. That's great. Uh, we'll make sure we'll put the uh, link to Caitlin's um, Twitter uh, in the episode description. So nice little link for easy for people to find. <laughs> awesome. But... Thank you. <laughs> so again, thank you for coming. And, you know, um, as I say to listeners, uh, you know, Thank you for coming and enjoy listening to uh, <laughs> another person, uh, you know, working in games that just happens to be disabled or neurodiverse. So, you know, it's, it's what this show is all about. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next time. So, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Make sure you follow DNA of Games on iTunes, Spotify and YouTube, as well as you can find us on Twitter under at ManyCatsCIC. See you again next time.